Got a new series on Philemon. It's a short little book, and um, I hope there's uh, you'll get so much out of it because there's so much there. Before we jump in today, I just want to say thank you to all those who reached out. Um, uh, my dad, um, he was ready to go. He was prepared and ready. And uh, the last few days, he rested peacefully, and it was just good to uh, be there a few hours before he went and just be with him. And so, thank you so much for the ter- the prayers and the texts, the calls. It, it means a lot. We'll probably have a memorial service next Sunday um, at Bryant Funeral Home in Charles Whitaker. His kid group leader is going to lead that service, and so uh, if you're available, hope you can attend and just honor his life. Uh, let's pray before we uh, get into the message today. Father God, we thank you so much for um, the gift of Jesus Christ. God, that you, um, God, you, you knew us before we could know you. God, you came for us, and God, I thank you for your salvation and the hope that you give us, the life that you give us. And God, uh, as Mitch mentioned, it has been a difficult week, Seth losing um, his uh, father and and my dad passing away, God, and just so many other uh, things, God, going on. And God, we just pray that you will help us to keep our eyes upon you, Jesus, and know that uh, you are more than enough. You're more than we need, God. You give us everything we need for this life and for the next. And God, I pray that today as we get into your word and study your word, that we might uh, just know more of you and uh, have a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. I want us to think about excuses for a second because we all got them, right? Uh, How many of you have been a school teacher or are a school teacher right now? Raise your hand if if you're a teacher. Raise your hand. All right, quite a few. All right, so fellow teachers, I've been in the classroom for many years teaching uh, part-time, and uh, excuses, students never, you know, they never disappoint you with the excuses they make for various things. You know, like, for instance, you give an assignment uh, a month ahead of time, and then the game the night before is an excuse, right? I couldn't get that assignment done because I was out late for a game. Come on, give me, give me one more week, please. Give me one more day. I need a little more time. Or, you know, this is a funny one with technology and phones and all that. Uh, you get a, a kid, you're like, uh, why are you texting? And they're like, oh, I forgot I was at school, right? And, and, and those kind of things happen all the time. And we kind of laugh at the fact that, that how younger people can come up with excuses. But let me tell you, as a pastor, I've heard some doozies as well, right? And you have too, and you've probably made some. Uh, some of the saddest ones I've heard are people who, a guy who said, you know, hey, I'm leaving my wife. Why are you leaving your wife? I just don't love her anymore. Uh, that's a good reason, right? That's a biblical reason. No, it's not a biblical reason. Or, you know, I don't go to church because there's just too many hypocrites at church, right? That's the one we hear the most, right? Uh, I don't need a church. I don't need to be around those fake people. Yeah, I, just, I just do my thing on my own, right? There's no biblical Christianity outside of the church, right? I'm too busy to read the Bible and pray. Now we're really stepping on toes here, more toes, right? I'm just too busy to, to commune with God and meet with Jesus Christ every day. Or, you know, a lot of guys say, I don't talk to my kids about Jesus because I'm afraid I'll tell them the wrong thing, right? I just, I'm afraid I'll mess them up, right? You're not going to mess them up. Go for it, right? The Holy Spirit lives in you, but we're all guilty of making excuses because excuses allow us to avoid responsibility, to avoid uncomfortable conversations or uncomfortable feelings. And we've all made these in our ministries uh, and in what God has called us to do. But today in this short series in the book of Philemon, Paul is writing this letter to his friend named Philemon in the entire church. And from a self-centered perspective, Paul should have every excuse in the book to be discouraged, depressed, or angry. 
He's in prison, as he often is when he's writing these things. He's in prison for preaching the good news of Jesus, not because he's done something wrong. And it'd be easy for us to say, God, why am I here? I've been doing the stuff. I've been going to church. I've been being faithful to you. And this is what I get as a result. That's oftentimes what enters our mind. We continue to see our relationship with God as something where we stack up the credits, right? We put the the deposits in the bank and then God owes us. And we have that mindset. Paul for sure does not have that mindset. In fact, Paul lived a Jesus-centered life, not a self-centered life. And he did amazing ministry during his time as he was imprisoned here. In this two-year imprisonment, he wrote four books of our New Testament. Uh, He wrote four books, including this book of Philemon. And in Philemon, we're going to meet a man named Onesimus, okay? And Onesimus was a man that even as Paul's in prison, as he's in there suffering for the gospel, he makes this huge impact on this guy named Onesimus and on others for the cause of Christ. These are what Paul did instead of complaining and making excuses. So today I think we need to really look at ourselves and say, what's our excuse for not following Jesus? And I hope that today can be an encouragement to you. And before we get into the text, um, Acts 28 kind of overlaps. It talks about a little bit from a different angle, Paul's imprisonment at this time. And Paul was, it says in verse 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, And without hindrance. And so Paul was so transformed by the gospel that he's there in prison. And this is written that he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's teaching the kingdom of God. He's giving the kingdom of God. The shackles are not an excuse for him not doing what God had called him to do. Because the message changes everything. So Philemon, we're only going to be in three verses today. Verses 1 through 3. Those who do sermon follow-up, I've asked you today to, to read the entire book. It's a short book. You can read it in probably less than five minutes to give you a big uh, overview. But today we'll just look at verses one through three. Paul writes, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our brother, our beloved fellow worker and Africa, our sister and Archippus, our fellow soldier and the church in your house. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So during this imprisonment, Paul is living under house arrest in Rome. This is not the worst of the worst which you'll end up with in the Roman prison. This is house arrest, but nevertheless, he's still under arrest and he's being guarded. And during Roman imprisonments like this, he would have been, like I said, under guard, but he's permitted to entertain guests. People can come in and be with him, but he has to provide for his own needs, his own meals, his own clothes. And there were many people who came alongside of him to help sustain him during this time. Some of these names sound familiar. Of course, Timothy, we just mentioned in the text. Luke, you may have heard that name. John Mark and a few others were there and helped provide for him and deliver gifts from the church to help him. And so this letter is addressed to a man named Philemon, who lived in a city called Colossae. And Philemon is a strong and committed follower of Christ. Verse 1, it says, To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. And if you notice something different, in fact, when I started reading this text, I almost said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Because almost every epistle, Paul starts out that way. But he begins this way, this book, a little bit different, because he says, 
a beloved fellow worker. A little bit different angle here because he's writing a personal appeal in this book, in this letter. He's writing a personal appeal. And he says that he's a prisoner for Jesus Christ. So what's true that he's given some freedom during this imprisonment, as mentioned earlier, he's still in chains. And somebody who's in chains is commonly viewed as a, a shameful thing, of course. And he writes that he's a prisoner, though very important, not for Rome. He's a prisoner for Christ. So Paul may appear to be a prisoner of Rome, but in reality, in the deep sense, he's a prisoner for Jesus Christ. He's there by divine appointment and providence of God. Paul is in that situation, and that's a good thing to remember for us as well. When we're in situations that don't make a lot of sense to us, when we're in situations where we're puzzled and scratching our head, consider the fact that God has put you there, has allowed this to happen, has maneuvered and worked in circumstances for you to be in this very situation for your good and his glory. And sometimes it's hard to recognize that because consequences and sinful things can lead to really bad consequences and things that happen in our life. But nevertheless, God redeems us. So think about your situation, your circumstance right now. Think about the tough situation you're in. God put Paul there by his divine providence. And so Paul identified himself as a prisoner of Christ. And this is one of the main themes that we'll see in this short little epistle. And he says, "...in Timothy, our brother." So Timothy is there with Paul, maybe in prison with Paul. We don't know for sure. Paul may have been dictating this message to Timothy and him actually writing the words out. But Timothy's not the co-writer. Paul is the author of this book. But one thing we do know from the books of Timothy and the other works of Paul, Paul is busy at discipleship with Timothy. That's what Paul did, right? And so he would not let his situation or the fact that he is limited in his ability to move around to stop him from doing his ministry. He would not let his shackles hold him back from doing this ministry. So he's building into Timothy, preparing Timothy for a greater work. And he uses whatever resources are at his disposal, whatever health he's in, he uses that to make disciples. Make disciples. No excuses. What do you think for a second? What's the most famous painting in all the world. Don't, you don't say it. Just think about it in your mind, all right? All right, so most of you probably came up with the Mona Lisa. All right, so think about the Mona Lisa for a second, all right? Are her eyebrows thick or thin? Are, what's the background? What's behind her in the painting? Think about it. What color are her clothing? The most famous painting in the world and you've seen it millions of times, hundreds of times at least, yet we forget this. And just as people have trouble clearly visualizing the Mona Lisa, most Christians have a blurry picture of what a true disciple of Jesus Christ is. So we hear it said, we hear preachers talk about it, you talk about it in your K group, you talk about it at home hopefully, but sometimes we just can't visualize what does a true disciple of Jesus look like. And you know, you, if you can't see it, you can't be it, right? If you can't see, here's what a disciple should be, then here's the way that I should live my life. And so I hope to give you through this book a better picture of discipleship. And here's, I think, one thing that can hurt us, honestly. When we think of discipleship, I'm guilty of this. I think of the Apostle Paul. And I think right there, that is what a disciple, like, if 100% all in, this is a guy, this is what 
like you reach the top of the pyramid of discipleship, that's the Apostle Paul. But I'm going to push back against that for, for a moment here. Because I think that we sometimes aspire to something that God doesn't call us. And in our aspirations to maybe something so big that we were like, I can't do that. And we just give up and don't do anything, right? Or don't do the things that God has called us to do. In his book titled Ordinary by Michael Horton, he speaks to this when he writes this. He says, sometimes chasing your dreams can be easier than just being who we are, where God has placed you with the gifts he has given to you. And then in a chapter called Ordinary Isn't Mediocre, he continues, This is not a call to do less, but to invest in things that we often give up on when we don't see immediate return. The fact that ordinary has come to be mediocre or low expectations is a sign of the problem I want to address. And he addresses it in this book, and I want to address it as well. And we're going to come back to this idea again in a minute. But I want you to know that, that being a committed, fully all-in disciple of Jesus may not look like the Apostle Paul. It probably won't look like the Apostle Paul for most of you. But that doesn't mean that God hasn't given you a, a great ministry to accomplish and do. Let's, let's continue on. We'll come back to that. And so he says, And Athea, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So Paul addresses his letter to Athea and also Archippus. And some thinks this is Philemon's wife and his son. Could be very possible because he says the church that meets in your house. But whether or not we know that uh, Archippus, he says, is a fellow soldier. And I think that terminology, like we oftentimes shy away from using military terminology. The Bible doesn't shy away from that because it sounds so militant, maybe so Middle Eastern, right? That like, oh, like people are getting so worked up with their faith, they're going to war with it. But the imagery Paul uses is not to describe a physical warfare because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, Paul writes. He says, we're in a war against authorities and rulers, cosmic powers of the darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. So we must think and live as those in a life and death warfare for the souls of people, the souls of men and women. And I can sit here and I can say this, and I can say it strongly, but most of us will walk out of here and move on and quickly forget that. And I think there's nothing that helps us realize how serious this battle is than to be by the bedside of someone who's, who's dying or has died. It gives you a, big, a good wake-up call, honestly. It helps you to see that, you know what, I'm not permanent, I'm not forever, and all I can remember is me and my existence and my history and my life but there's so much more to this, and there's an eternity that happens. It goes on and continues on. And so it's a reminder to us that this life is more than just the things that we do from day to day, from 8 to 5, and go home at night and chill. There's so much. The, the souls of men and women hang in the balance. And God has entrusted to us this message. And we have to, to remove from our thinking that we have to be an Apostle Paul in order to make this happen. I mean, if you look at Philemon, look at what his ministry was. He was faithful. He said, Paul says, he, he's, he's beloved and, and the church meets in his house. All right? So just he's hospitable to the saints. Now, of course, during this time, there would have been a great risk involved for Philemon to open his house because of the persecution that may have happened. And it would have clearly identified him as a follower of Jesus. But Philemon and the church that meets in his house... Paul says, this is a worthy ministry. This is something incredible that's happening. 
And so apparently Philemon was this wealthy man. He had a large enough house to accommodate this meeting. And so this ordinary ministry, just allowing the church to meet in his house, what, what an amazing thing. I love what Tim Keller writes about the first century and people in houses and ministry taking place in houses. He says, Christianity spread in the first century through extended household evangelism done informally by what? Ordinary Christians. And he continues on, the home could be used for systematic teaching and instruction, planned presentation of the gospel to friends and neighbors, prayer meetings, impromptu evangelistic gatherings, follow-up sessions and inquiries, evenings devoted to instruction and prayer, and fellowship. So ordinary Christians opened their home, and Paul went and trained up ordinary people to be evangelists and to, to be pastors and teachers and workers, and they worked in this context. And so if you're newer to Grace or your first time here, that's why we really believe in small groups. That's why we really believe in what we call K-groups, because it's an opportunity to put you and I into a relational context where we can use our gifts to serve and minister to one another. And there's no gift that is insignificant. If you have not been to the Intro to Grace membership class, we will talk about this during the membership class. It's an incredible thing to know that God has gifted each one of his children with spiritual gifts to use to encourage and build up one another. And if you're not engaged in a small community of believers where you're really impacting them and using your gift, then not only are you failing to serve, you're failing to be served. You're failing to grow and develop spiritually the way that God intends for you because we need one another to build into each other's life in this relational context. So I love the fact that, that Philemon, he's, it's pointed out that the church meets in his house. What an amazing thing. And so, so a little bit more in the background of Philemon to set this up for the next few weeks. It appears that Philemon, Philemon had come to be a convert to Christianity through the ministry of Paul himself. And so Paul, look what he says. He said he's loved. Paul says he's beloved. He's loved. And he says he's a, he's a worker in the gospel. He's working the message. He probably, of course, has an eight-to-five job. He has a job, an occupation that he does to make money so he can have the church meet in his house. But he's a worker for the gospel. And he's willing to risk his reputation and his wealth for that church. And so what is Paul asking of Philemon in this letter? We're going to see, again, this guy named Onesimus. He had found his way to Paul as Paul was in prison there in Rome. We don't know how, but again, another providential, sovereign thing that God did that in the city of Rome, as this slave named Onesimus ran away from his owner, his master, because he had robbed him, and went to Rome, more than likely, so he could hide out and just kind of blend in. In some way, whether he's put into prison or whether he just happens to hear about Paul and goes to see Paul, he comes across Paul. And so Paul writes this letter to Philemon, his master, to appeal to him to be generous to Onesimus once he returns to Philemon. How did, again, how did he find his way? It was providence, but God uses this in huge ways. But, but first, let's think about this. This was a moral dilemma for Paul, and it was a moral dilemma for Onesimus and for Philemon, as Onesimus will go back. Why? Because in Roman law, runaway slaves were to be returned to their owner. So Paul had to deal with, okay, what do I do with Onesimus? What do I do with him? He sent him back to, to his owner. He sent him back. 
You're going to talk a little bit, those who do sermon follow-up, about slavery and does the Bible endorse slavery. These are important questions to answer in our culture today because a lot of people will look at the Bible and say, the Bible endorses slavery. The Bible, you know, supports slavery. Absolutely nothing could be further from the truth. And I hope that our K-group leaders are prepared for this discussion this week because this is really important that we answer that question. But in Roman days, slavery wasn't based upon the color of your skin. Slavery was based upon a lot of other factors, but not race or heritage. Often, it was a result of somebody going into overwhelming debt. Um, Sometimes war prisoners were put into slavery. Others were just born into it. And it was such an establishment in the Roman Empire. Some say that as many as 10% of the population were slaves. And under Roman law, enslaved people had no personal rights and were regarded as property of their masters. They could be bought, sold, and mistreated as well, even though that was frowned upon at this time in the Roman Empire. But the penalty for running away from one's master was very harsh. could be tortured, could be branded, even put to death. And so we'll see more in the next few weeks. But Paul writes to encourage Philemon to accept Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. Not just don't accept him back as your slave. This is your brother. Onesimus has come to me He has placed his faith in Jesus Christ, so now he's your brother. Wow, the gospel truly changes everything. It changes everything. We're going to see this through this book. And and another thing I love about this book is the the incredible distinction where you see between law and grace and how it's beautifully pictured in the story. But here's the thing I want to end with today. This This is awesome, and this is beautiful. According to church history, Philemon not only received Onesimus back as a brother and not a slave, but just 50 years later, there was a bishop, a preacher named Ignatius of Antioch. And there is history records that Onesimus had become a pastor in Ephesus. Onesimus was now God used and redeemed in this situation, and he became an ambassador for Christ. Look what Ignatius wrote. We have this in writing through this guy named um, uh, Ignatius. He says, Though Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love, and your bishop in the flesh, whom I pray by Jesus Christ to love, and that you would all be, seek to be like him, and blessed be he who is granted unto you, being worthy to sustain such an excellent bishop. Wow, what an incredible, amazing story of grace. That Paul in his shackles not only impacted guys like Timothy, who we would expect, but a guy who just comes in off the street named Onesimus. And this connection with Philemon and the fact that God uses Paul even in his shackles to make this incredible impact in these people's lives. What's our excuse, honestly? What's our excuse for not doing ministry, for not being involved in people's lives, for not being about discipleship, for not being in community and building into one another and using our gifts to encourage one another. And so Paul's proclamation of the gospel not only changed Onesimus' life for eternity, but all the people that he touched and Timothy touched and all these others touched. And so that's why Paul can finish out his greeting section, which is a very conventional greeting that Paul uses But it's definitely not a throwaway remark. He says, grace to you, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's all grace. It's all grace that God can break 
the shackles of sin, destruction, death, and God can take us and use us for his glory. Isn't that amazing that God can use you and I? See, as long as we feel like we're like entitled or that some way that we deserve this or earn this or that we just take it for granted, then there's very little understanding of just what God did for us on the cross through Jesus Christ. And as, as long as we're kind of to have a casual relationship with the gospel, then we can just move through our week and not really think about the implications this has upon our life. But what happens when we begin to, listen, truly spend time with Jesus? This is not about guilt or fear or pushing you into it because that motivation will fall flat every single time. The motivation for discipleship and ministry is what Paul writes in 1 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Look at this verse on the screen. This is amazing. He says, Yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I don't preach the good news. You see what Paul's saying? He's saying there's this explosion that's happening inside of me. Jesus has changed my life so much from the inside out that I can't help to just spread the news. The people I come in contact with, those who I work with, the guys who comes off the street to see me in prison, I'm compelled to share Jesus. Because Jesus is my everything. Why? Because grace. It's all grace. It's Jesus' grace through the cross for us. And until we truly every day start our day out with in some way acknowledging This day is all about you, Jesus, because I wouldn't be here, and this wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for grace. I wouldn't be called into ministry. I wouldn't have this message. I wouldn't have eternal life. I wouldn't have the Holy Spirit residing in me, bursting out of me to spread this message that you've given me to spread. But see, so many in the church are lethargical and dead, and they they feel just dissatisfied because there's this battle that's happening in our soul, and we tend to be feeding our flesh and walking in the flesh more than we are spending time with Jesus and developing an intimacy with Jesus through his word, through his church, through his people. And so as long as we're feasting on the things of this world, it's no wonder that our heart isn't just bursting with the message of Jesus to share at every chance we get. We don't have to work up a strategy or think about a plan. All we do is just, we're just ourselves, right? We just, we're, I'm just being myself because I'm so in love with Jesus that it's just a natural expression of what I am and who I am. Now, I will say, I've, I I'm definitely haven't arrived. I don't stand here and say, I'm the authority on this. But I will tell you this. Something changed in my life. And it wasn't just because I became a pastor. When I got serious about every day, sitting down with Jesus, quiet, not on my work time, not during times in the office. It's early in the morning. Michelle and I get up. We go out into the living room. We spend time in the Word. It takes a commitment. It takes an extra hour every day of our time. And you know what? We have the same amount of time as you do. And we're busy like you are. But it's important because otherwise, if I don't engage God and reflect upon the gospel and see what Christ has done for me and rehearse the gospel and talk to Jesus, then there's no way that I can say what Paul says. I'm compelled by God to share the gospel. It's going to be a drudgery. It's going to be fearful. It's going to be misery. And you're going to dread it and hate it. And you're not going to want to do it because you've got mixed motives. I'm trying to fit in. I'm trying to let them accept me. If I talk about Jesus, what are people going to think about me? You know, and and, and I, I, what will they think about my job? And I can't do my job effectively if I'm talking about Jesus. 
you can't help but talk about Jesus when you fall in love with Jesus. It's just going to be the natural expression of your life. I did a wedding yesterday. You know what? Scott and Lindsay, they can't help but to talk about each other because they're in love with each other. And it was so wonderful to see them share their wedding vows with one another and the things they said to one another. And you may remember this in your early days of your marriage and hopefully still in your marriage. How did just bragging on your wife and talking about your spouse, the way that you do it, the way you admire them, just comes natural. If it doesn't, you need to get in marriage mentoring. You need to go to the weekend, right? But you see what I'm talking about. If it's just something about you love and you're passionate about, you just talk about them. If, you're, if your kid is in sports, you tell people, man. I, I remember Sean, when, when Vivi was running, right? Sean, every time he saw me, he's like, hey, let me tell you what Vivi's doing right now. And that I mean, it's awesome. Her accomplishments were incredible. But nobody had to say, okay, Sean, talk about Vivi, okay? Please go do that. No, it was bursting out of him. He wanted to talk about his daughter because his daughter was so successful and doing so much in the area of cross-country and running. So your passions just naturally flow from you. But if you're not with Jesus, he's not going to be your passion. And you're not going to be sharing his good news. And so we need to use our spiritual gifts. We use them in community. That's the hands application. But it comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the message of Philemon. Jesus breaks the shackles. Jesus gives us the freedom to be who you really are, which is in Christ, a new creation. The old is gone. The new has begun. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. It just points us again and again to your grace, your incredible grace that shows us that we were so headed for destruction, eternal separation from you in hell. But you came, Jesus. And you gave us life. And Father, you extended to us the gift of salvation. And God, I thank you for that gift. And God, I pray that we will give this away because we're so in love with you. For those who need the discipline of being in your word every day and just spending time with you, God, I pray that they'll develop a schedule and set an alarm clock, make their itinerary work so they can spend time with you and rehearse the cross, rehearse the gospel, and allow your spirit to burst through them with the good news of Jesus Christ.